Thank you, all of our help and ministry tonight. God bless you for that. I want to preach out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Time to time as a pastor, I will preach messages to bring understanding of the Bible, of just scripture, uh, church, things that the Bible teaches, uh, not always just in a Sunday school setting, but sometimes in a sermon, and that's, this is what that, this sermon is tonight. Uh, it's a scripture, it's uh, Paul writing to the church, bringing clarity about the church and what the church is supposed to do concerning this very specific thing, and I've preached along these lines a number of different times, uh, but I want to go over what he says uh, verse by verse in this text. And I want to preach on judging sexual sin out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 13, if you want to follow along in your Bible. Reading out of the New King James, says it is actually reported, no, so Paul is not there, so I must clarify, this church is a church that Paul started, he pastored for a number, now he turned it over to a, another pastor, he's writing a letter to them about something that has been brought to his attention as an apostle over that church or leader over that church. It is actually reported to me that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. That's pretty messed up. And you are puffed up or you are prideful. Now he's writing to the church and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged, as though I were present, him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you, you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. And I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters since that you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. No, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside the church? Do you not judge those who are inside the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Judging sexual sin. Paul, the apostle, he sets this up as a court of law. And he makes a brilliant case to bring absolute clarity to the church's stand on this issue. He gives us complete confidence in the will of God and what God wants. And I'm going to try to illuminate the Apostle Paul's argument this evening. Let's first of all look at God's perspective. 
There are times when we must deal with unrepented sin. He begins with an argument for judgment. Obviously a particular kind of judgment. Paul is very clear. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. So in verse 12, Paul says, For what have I to do with judging those who are outside the church? Do you not judge those who are inside? So he's making the argument that there needs to be judgment inside the house of God. We do not judge those on the outside. We have no ability to judge those on outside the church. But inside, it is our, our, our uh, calling and our commandment that we judge sin. The church has the responsibility to judge matters inside the congregation. In this case, sexual immorality. He says in verse 1, it is actually, actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality that it is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. Paul is saying, there are sinners don't even do this stuff. He says, this has to be dealt with. And so we use this text as guidelines for how to deal with sexual sin in our congregations. And note, this is not a brand new convert. New converts come, they have baggage all the way to the airport. They have messed up lives. They have lives filled with sin and filled with problems. And it takes time and takes working with them. And we have a lot of grace on new converts. And we try to help them grow and learn and make good decisions. But even then, it comes to a point where they have to make a decision. There has to be judgment. But what is happening in this scripture? Well, this was an established member of the church in Corinth. Secondly, Paul begins his defense by stating that there's a lack of judgment. The church leaders were not dealing with the sin problem. Verse 2, he says, and you are puffed up or you are prideful or you are puffed up in your pride and arrogance and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. So to the Corinthian church, they were claiming they were full of love. They were letting this sin happen without bringing repentance or judgment on it with the excuse of, well, we're just loving them and we're accepting people as they are and we are full of love. And it was pride that says we are loving people. Paul says, you're not loving, you are prideful. You are prideful and arrogant. This is God's house and not yours. And so he says, it's pride. The church may have wanted to claim love, but Paul says the truth is they were being prideful. And he begins his argument based on human perspective versus God's perspective. The human perspective was, well, we're being loving, we're being kind, we're being, you know, we're being uh, large-hearted people. Uh, God's perspective was not the same. See, the waters become murky when mixed with human emotions. Love as an emotion versus love as truth. They're two different things. And many of God's people have no ability to bring a delineation between love as an emotion and love as truth. This is where many Christians go wrong. They don't know the difference. 
This is the reason we must go to the word of God as truth. Some of you, this, you, don't, you have never read this scripture yet. Maybe you're a new, uh, new Christian. That's acceptable. But you've been saved a long time. You do not read your Bible. You will get offended at things that I must do or the church must do because you don't know your Bible. Among the most people that have ever been offended, any kind of judgment I've ever had to bring are ones that just don't know their Bible. It's all emotion. It's all their emotions. And this is what's happening in this church. This is one of their brethren. This is one of their friends, one of their close uh, uh, Christian brothers in the church. Um, and they want to be emotional about it instead of uh, dealing with it as a sin. And so many Christians don't know the difference. And this is the reason we have to go to the word of God as the standard of truth. Um, because we are all susceptible to this. Our emotions are always in play when it comes to sin and dealing with sin. This is the reason why when it's a relationship with someone that we may have difficulty. Our emotions take over. We let emotion obstruct that when judgment of sin is on somebody that we love or we care about, all of a sudden the emotions get involved. And the devil is looking for people to target their emotions. And we must be awakened to this because the church is all about relationships, brethren, friendships, family members, relatives. And you never know who someone is until you have to judge their son or daughter. Remember that. Don't ever forget that. We can all agree with Bible stands, but when it's your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, your parents, your friend, your relative. Don't let emotion get in the way. Because the issue is what we must focus on. And the issue is sin. Their sin is the issue. No matter who it is to us, the issue to God is sin. Listen to me. No matter who they are to us, to God, the issue is sin. That is why you have to remove the emotion and focus on what God sees as a sin in his house. Some want to get caught up in the emotion, the punishment that's brought, the church's stand. But the truth is none of that would have to happen if they didn't choose to sin. I've had people get irate at me and the, it's the issues like well if they wouldn't have sinned this wouldn't be a problem would it they're the problem not me they're the problem not the church they're the problem not the word of god it's sin that has to be dealt with and if they don't choose to sin then there's no problem it's their sin that causes us to have to judge and paul says it's pride that's causing the problem Let's talk about how to judge then. Paul then reveals the greater problem with sexual sin. He says it's a leaven. All sin affects others around us. All sin does. Every single sin affects other people. But there is a greater dimension to sexual sin that must be recognized. It doesn't stay between offending parties. It permeates 
and has the potential to affect the whole church. And I've seen it time and time again. Sexual sin spreads. I can't tell you how many times over the course of my ministry that when I come to, when, it, when sexual sin is brought to my attention, is dealt with, there's often many others that are involved in similar things. It spreads. It begins to inflect, infect. It begins to, it's like when this person's finally covers are pulled, they're dealt with, and all of a sudden you've all these tentacles. It's like, well, so, so-and-so is doing the same thing. They're not even related, related to this situation, but there's a sin that's beginning to leaven in the church. So Paul calls it a leaven. And that's a specific illustration. He's not mincing words. He's using it specifically because leaven will spread throughout the dough, right? A little bit of leaven in a lump of dough, it will spread. It permeates and, and, and it has the ability to fill the whole low um, um, dough and then it rises it causes this incredible reaction and that leaven is not going to stop until it permeates completely and affecting the entire whole that is what sexual sin always does in a church it will affect everything around it other people be affected people's minds are affected People's hearts are affected. All of a sudden, people are having temptations they've never had before or haven't had in a long time. People start coming to me, Pastor, I'm having these horrible dreams with these explicit, immoral dreams, and I don't know why. And sometimes because there's sin in the camp. It brings confusion. When there's sexual sin in the church, part of that leaven is confusion. People have a hard time you know, rectifying truth and hearing truth and dealing with things because there's a loss of dominion. And it's a lack of God's blessing. God will not bless a church that tolerates fornication. So Paul says it must be judged. And when he says it must be judged, he means something very specifically. It must be removed the leaven has to be removed so it is with sexual sin it must be removed so that it will cease to have effect the removal is the judgment that paul is calling this church to not just judging it is wrong and oh they need to stop sinning and that's wrong no paul's very specific on what needs to happen he says in verse 2 he that has done this deed should be taken away from among you. Verse 13, but those who are outside God judges, therefore put away from yourselves the evil person. Now I want to deal with your theology for a moment. Paul calls them evil. He's, he knows this person, by the way. He knows the church. This is his, one of his churches. He knows the people involved. He knows the, the, the people he's writing to. He may even know the man that's, uh, that's been revealed. He calls him evil. This is a man that is a brother in the church. He says he's evil. Not just evil, sinful things. He says evil person. You need to swaddle that and digest that for a little bit. Again, if you read your Bible, you would, you would know some of these scriptures. It shouldn't just be, well, I've never heard that before. He says twice, verse 2, they would be taken away from among you. Verse 13, put away from yourselves the evil person. It's very clear. 
He says, he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. He that has done this. Apparently the other party was not in the church. But Paul says, he that did it needs to be removed. Put away from yourselves. The words taken away and put away in those two verses are the same Greek word. It means to remove. And it's the only two places in the Bible that this word is used, these two, these, this phrase. If that sin is going to be removed, then the people involved in that sin must be removed. God says it's judgment. And each person in the congregation must judge correctly. Listen to me now. This goes beyond just being another, a person sitting in a pew. Paul is calling the church to judge it. And every person in the church is called to stand on the side of, of the correct side of that judgment. We are a congregation. We do everything together, including judging together. And to remove a guilty party from the church means they are put out of the church. They're not allowed at church. They're not allowed at church activities or any church-related function at all. None. Nothing. Zero. Zip. Nada. If they are repentant at the time of their judgment, they're put out of the church for a space of time. If they are not repentant at the time of their judgment, then they are put out of the church until they are repentant. So we need to examine what put out means. First for them, I want to draw your attention to Paul's words. Again, some of you really need to listen to what Paul says. I want to draw your attention. He's, he tells us what is going to happen. Verse 5, deliver such a one to Satan. Just let that filter through your heart. This is, this is a man of God, Paul the Apostle. He says, that man that got uncovered for this immoral fornication, put him out, and you need to deliver them to Satan. That's heavy. That is incredibly heavy thought. He says, for the destruction of the flesh. That they're not just put out for out's sake. It's a spiritual issue. And Paul is very specific what our mindset and our intention is to be. Destruction of the flesh means something. Sometimes we think that, well, they're just put out for six months or they're just put out for and they'll be back. No, that's not what he's saying. He said, we don't just put people out just to put them out of the church for a while. He says, no, that's not what that's about. The judgment is the sin must be dealt with. The leaven must be removed. They must be put out. But what happens when you put them out? And some of you don't do this when this, gets, when this happens. You don't deliver them to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Remember, he's calling the church, every member of the church to have this mindset and this stance. And again, some of this might be news to you because you really don't read your Bible. Shame on you. Because you get upset when things get dealt with, perhaps, and just because you don't know your Bible. He says, put them out and deliver them to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That means 
God will break the power of their sinful lust and carnality. And he will also allow Satan access to them. Because the goal, he says, is the destruction of their flesh. See, sexual immorality is their flesh. It's not the person as an individual, it's their sin. Paul says that sin, that flesh, that desire to sin and that desire to be immoral like that. I mean, who, who, who wants their father's wife? That's messed up. Who wants to be like that? Who wants to, sin? Who wants to fornicate and sin be, with, a, with another human being before you're married? That's messed up. He says they need to see it as messed up. And when you get in the way, they don't see it as messed up. You go to their birthday party or you go to when their baby's born out of wedlock. You know, you're in the way. He says you need to deliver them unto Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Because that flesh... That sin, that working of their flesh needs to be destroyed. That life that they are living because of their sin, the sin that they are committing, their desire to sin, to live in sin and to persist in sin. There's nothing good about being subject to Satan. In his hands, they will be shown the end result of what their sin produces and it's not good. That's God's goal. That they come to the place where they realize their decisions and all of their sin, they're the problem, and this is why they're where they're at. That they get their fill of it. That their flesh is destroyed through it. You may not want that. You may not like to see that. But God didn't ask you. Right? They chose to sin. This verse is what God says to do. He says they need to be, that flesh needs to be destroyed. And this will happen outside the covering of the church. Outside the, some of you don't understand what a covering this church is for your life. You grew up in church. You've never experienced how wicked it is out there in sin. You're even thinking about going out there and trying it a little bit. You've lost your mind. Sin is disgustingly wicked. And you're a church kid that was lived all your life under this covering of the church and the blessing of that and the grace of that and somehow in your twisted mind you think you want to be like them? You've lost your mind. The covering of the church brings an incredible grace over human life. The covering of each one of us under the covering of God's own blood and the church of Jesus Christ and His body is an unbelievable protection. The anointing that comes, the blessing, the grace, all the goodness, mercy of God that is within the confines of His church. And when they're put out of the church, all of that's gone. All of that's removed from there. God removes His hand. God removes His goodness. God removes His blessing. God removes His protection. And everything about that is gone because He turns them over to Satan, according to Paul. And you and I are to step out of the way and allow that to happen. It doesn't matter whether it's your son, your daughter, your friend, your brother. It says step out of the way and allow it to happen. You are not wise to step between God and someone he is disciplining because you're on the wrong side of God now. He's not, you're not on the wrong side of me. You're not on the wrong side of the Door Christian Fellowship Ministries. You're on the wrong side of the Almighty God. And I just want to mention this. 
watching the destruction of someone's flesh on social media is not okay. Some of you need to unlike and remove it because you're still watching the destruction of their flesh. Hello. I'm serious. Whether you watch it out of love and care or out of entertainment, I don't think God's pleased with it. Because the way Paul frames this, he's not, God's not pleased when people get in the way of his, of his will. And if you're, you're watching social media and you're watching their partying and their sinning and their posting and their iniquity, I don't know how God's pleased about that. Because we're to judge with our hearts and we're to judge with our actions. And putting them out means something. The goal is they become sick of their sin, hate their flesh, become broken and hungry to get right with God. The second thing is for us. Putting out uh, sexual immorality is something for us as well. Verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. So Paul apparently had wrote to them before. And told them, you don't keep company with sexual and moral people. And then this thing happened later. And now he's writing to them and saying, hey, I already told you this before what our stand is. Why are you not doing what I've already judged and said for you to do? Because he said that I've already judged on this. I'm, I'm not there, but I've already written to you and judged on these things. And so as I wrote to you not to keep company with sexually immoral people. The phrase keep company means associate with. It's derived from the word meaning companionship. And this is a well-founded scriptural judgment. Ephesians 11 and 12. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. This includes, did you hear about? Oh, did you hear what's happening? Did you see? Oh, let me show you their Instagram posts. It's shameful. 2 Thessalonians 3.14 and, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Paul says no fellowship. I'm just reading scripture. He says no fellowship. Verse 11, no, not even to eat with such a person. Out means out. Don't blur the lines. Judgment must be real and it must be thorough. And we are called to agree with God and do it his way. Because God's concerned about some things beyond just you and that person and those things. God is concerned about other things as well. And we must do things his way. I want to talk to you about God's heart, thirdly. Because judgment is not to be the final chapter. Putting someone out, even, is not to be the final chapter. The final hope is redemption. Redemption. Verse 5. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved. In the day of the Lord Jesus. 
See, God is showing us the path to their redemption. But you have to grasp with all of your heart, fill with revelation is this. It's all about redemption. And the path to somebody's redemption is through this. It's through judgment and putting out and breaking fellowship. God says, that's the path. I'm showing you how to redeem people caught in sexual immorality. You don't love and look the other way. You don't get prideful and say, well, we're going to do what we want. and we're going to, I know what the church's stand is, but I'm going to do what I want. You're getting in the way of redemption. See, the path is redemption. The path to redemption for your wicked sin was the death of Jesus Christ. Right? The path to redemption for all of our iniquity, even the little white lies we told, was the death of the Son of God. So God is showing us how to redeem immoral people. How you redeem a brother or a sister who is caught in immorality, not fallen, but caught in it. People don't fall into sexual sin. They jump in it. I hate that phrase. I don't know what happened. I fell into sexual sin. No, honey, you jumped in both feet. You chose it. And so God's showing the path. And in this text, the man in this text, he repented. He got it right. Not only did he get it right, but he stayed right. And he wanted to be redeemed and reinstated in the church. And so Paul later wrote and said, let him back in. In the next book, 2 Corinthians, we read 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, the letter he wrote later, 2 Corinthians 2, 6-8, this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, meaning the church, is sufficient for such a man. So that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Glory. Apparently, he repented. He turned from his sin. He did what was right, what was asked of him. Sufficient a time went by, and he removed the sinful relationship from his, lo- his life. And he did right for, an, for a sufficient amount of time. And Paul deemed that he was now able to return. Brought back into church, forgiven, reaffirmed, recommitted to love and grace and all the wonderful things of the church life and God and all the wonderful brotherhood. Because the man was willing to repent and do right. And that is what we want. That is what we want. This is why we bring judgment. So that people will see their sin. They will see the error of their ways and they will want to repent and change and do what they need to do to come back. That is the reason it is for a time. Right? It's easy to say sorry, but time and decisions will reveal if it's genuine. And there's a threefold reason we do this. Number one is the church. Remember, we are Christ's body. The church is the body of Christ. God shows us that his primary concern is the whole body. This is a very important point you need to understand. God loves the individual, but Jesus shed his blood for the church. Know your theology. He's not coming back for the individual. He's coming back for the church. Know your theology. That's what the scripture teaches. The rapture's for the church. Some of you... He says that when that trumpet sounds, Jesus is coming for his church. So the church is God's focal point. 
Christ is the head of the church. We're the body of Christ. The health of Christ's body, the church, and its health and its well-being is God's primary concern when sexually immoral matters are brought to light. And His primary concern is that that body is healthy and so the church comes first. God wants a holy church. Number two, the individual is next. The individual or the individuals involved, their salvation is at stake. The reason we judge and put out is because their salvation is at stake. Their eternal destiny. Where they would spend eternity. And if we're not careful to do things correctly, their soul could be in danger of eternal loss. Very critical that our hearts are in the right place because if we really do love that person, we want them to be saved. If we really do love them like we say we do, we want God to be able to get a hold of their heart so we'll follow God's way. And third, the issue is us. Those that are watching what happens. If they see that judgment is real in the church. If they see that we do not tolerate sin in the church. So that they don't want it. So they will see and learn a lesson from the punishment and the, the decision to made to discipline sin so that they themselves will abstain from sin. When I was a brand new convert, I was walking into the church for uh, something. I think it was a, a practice we were having in our first band. Uh, and as I walked into the church, this woman that was, already, was there in the church, she'd come for a little while. She came uh, barreling out the doors, crying, weeping. I mean, just flying out the door. She didn't even stop to say hi. I said hi, and she didn't even, just kept running. Got her car peeled out level. What in the world? What's going on? Unbeknownst to me, she had been caught again, again, for sexual immorality. This wasn't the first. This wasn't the second. But this was the last. She's called to the office. Our pastor told her, look, you turn from the sin, put out of the church until you do right. And she left. She never came back. That scared me to death. I suddenly said, I never want that to happen to me. There ain't a chick with good enough eyes or good enough looking body that I'm going to do that for. No way, Jose. I'm done with sin. I don't want to go back to the sinful lifestyle. I'm not giving up my salvation for any floozy. Because that same lady tried to come on to me one time. <laughs> and God said, See why? Yes, Lord. I learned a lesson that day. I was only a few, few uh, maybe a few months into my salvation. But I, I learned right then and there, this church doesn't tolerate sin. I'm going to walk the line. I'm going to keep my heart right. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. One, I'm going to keep my nose out of other people's business, but I'm not going down that road. I don't want to be put out of the church. I love this church. I love my brothers and sisters. I don't want to sin. I don't want to give up my salvation or my opportunities for anybody. So one of the reasons we judge is so that others in the church will see it and make good decisions and moral decisions and choose to live right themselves and fear God and fear the judgment of the church. So those of us that must judge, listen to me. You have to understand something. It's out of love. It's out of real love. Not prideful love, not emotion, but real love. Love is truth. God is love. It's out of a real love for their real soul. We want to see them get right someday. So those of us that must judge must keep a right heart. We must keep a right heart in the beginning. 
And we must keep a right heart in their reinstatement. Remember the elder brother. This is where it gets challenging sometimes. Because sometimes people are like, I'm glad they're gone. Well, they might come back. You better keep your heart right. Because the Bible says, take heed lest you fall. Try to restore one and keep yourself unspotted from their sin unless you fall. So I really find this to be an interesting dynamic of churches. That we have to judge, but we have to keep our heart right. And, you know, when I was a brand new pastor, when this first happened in, in my church... I had to call my pastor and say, what do I do? How do I do this? What I knew, I, you know, I'd had to do it in the mother church before as a disciple, work, you know, working with people. A couple of times I had to tell people, look, you either have to stop sinning or you can't go back to this church. They weren't really wanting to come anyway, so it wasn't a big deal. But as a pastor, it's a whole other issue. Because now I'm going to stand before God for what I say. And I need to do this righteously. So I called for direction. Actually, I called Pastor Foley to get even more advice. And... One of the things they said to me is, keep your heart right. Keep your heart right. Do it righteously. Keep your heart in the right place. Because it's, a lot of things happen, you know. A lot of people get hurt. There's always collateral damage. I've been saved long enough to know when people start sinning and there's sexual morality, there's leaven, all, there's all kinds of collateral damage and it causes other people to struggle. Sometimes new converts backslide because of it. Sometimes people leave the church because of it. Keep your heart right. You know, I've had people leave and take lots of people with them. Because they got judged from sin. They took a whole bunch of people with them. But you've got to keep your heart right. Because sometimes they want to be reinstated. And you've got to keep your heart right. <laughs> but the goal is love, right? It's out of love. So, lastly, as I close, how long do we judge? Generally, depending on the violation, depending on the issues involved, three months to six months, if they repent when they're dealt with. Right? If they're willing to repent, depending on the violation, it depends on what, what's, what the dynamics are. But if they really genuinely repent, repent, they break, they say, I'm going to quit. I'll cut this person off in my life. I'm going to stop fornicating. I'm going to break off this relationship. I want to stay in church. I want to stay right. Sometimes you let them stay, depending on the, you know, the circumstances. Sometimes it's like, well, you still got to go for three months. still got to go for six months. Uh, it depends on what they do. How they respond. But you know when there's no repentance. And the jaw is set. And the neck is stiff. And they curse you when they walk out of the office. Keep your heart right. But there's no, when there's no repentance. They're not allowed back until they do. However long that takes. However long that takes. For their destruction of their flesh. Till they're willing to finally repent. Might be months. Might be years. Might be decades. But when they do. We redeem. That's why we step out of the way and we deliver them to Satan so they will come to the place of repentance. So you have to judge in your heart and in your relationship to people sometimes because they need to feel the separation. They need to feel the judgment or they may never see their need to repent. If they never feel anything's changed and it's just case sirrah, sirrah, everything's still the same, they never feel the need. They never feel the separation. They never feel it. And maybe they never repent. So I close with the thought that it's always about hope. It's always about redemption. I never like having to do these things. It's just part of the, part of the 
sinful nature of people. But our goal is that even if they don't repent on this and this time, that they get saved before they enter eternity. We want them to go to heaven. We want them to be restored to fellowship. We want them back in church serving God. We want them to fulfill their destiny. And what I love about our fellowship is we have many, many cases where people were reinstated even back into ministries. We have pastors today that are out pastoring again even after a moral failure. God is a good God. God is a good God. Not every situation is perfect. I realize there are certain things that, that are not ever going to change. But most of the time, things can be worked out and redeemed. That's the glory of God. And I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in my ministry. And I've seen it many, many times. And so I wanted to preach this because it's something every church member needs to know. Every one of us as a Christian needs to know these things because from time to time, things have to be dealt with. And you'll be able to process things. You'll be able to work through it. You'll be able to get through it. Even if it's somebody you love a lot, your friend, or somebody that you brought to church. Maybe it's somebody that is really close to you. If you do right, God will help you process it. You can work through it. Because the worst thing you want to do is, is get tweaked and, and upset in your heart. Maybe not of a misunderstanding of the scripture, not really knowing what the Bible teaches. And generally, that's where people go wrong. They just don't know the Bible. And uh, we're here to help you understand God's word. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes. Every head's bowed.